Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and football is back in Philadelphia as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 67. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former Eagle linebacker Takeo Spikes about training camp, playing linebacker, and some cool memories from his playing days. Takeo and I transition then into two technique, where we talk about the role of a whole player underneath, which is where we see linebackers make so many great plays in the middle of the field. Then we wrap it all up in Saturday scouting, where I get into my notes on a player. We're getting our first extended look at this week, Eagles rookie offensive lineman, Isaac Sayumalu, who I think will absolutely be in the mix for that final starting spot along the offensive line this summer. We've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. I caught up with former Eagles linebacker Takeo Spikes, so let's get to that interview now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by Takeo Spikes. You can follow on Twitter at Takeo Spikes 51. Takeo played here back in 2007, but you're talking about a 15-year vet and, more impressively, a 13-year captain in the NFL. Uh, appreciate the time, Takeo. Thanks for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Hey, I appreciate you having me. It's it's always a good time and, a, and an honor to be able to uh, to be heard by the, the some of the greatest fans in the world, the Philly football fans, which I call the Shakers and Movers. <laughs> <laughs> what brings them that nickname? Why are they the shakers and movers? Because if they see something, if it isn't right, they're going to shake up the place. And then once they shake it up, management has been known to make movement. So that's the reason why I call them the shakers and the movers. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I like it. All right. Well, we're here. It's training camp. And, uh, you know, what is, so I wanted to ask you, what is one part of training camp that fans maybe don't appreciate as much being on the outside looking in that uh, the players have to deal with on a day-in, day-in, or day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis in the NFL? Every day as a fan, when you come to training camp, it's a new experience, and it feels so new, new, new. Every day you can focus on something different. You can look at the defense one day. The next day you can look at defense again but focus on one guy in particular who you may or may not like. Uh, the thing I think that fans maybe don't appreciate just by put, being placed on the outside is even though it's a new experience for you, it's a very redundant experience for us as players because we have to continue to go out there and do it over and over again uh, with the conditions of it being hot, with the conditions of having all of the pads on, and I think that the beauty and the struggle of what I see is, like, it's hard to be able to do that with all these conditions attached on with it. But we as players never complain. And I think that's the most gratifying thing is to know that it's tough. But when you're able to go out, do your job, and you do it at a high level on a consistent basis, that's what allows you to become that household name. 
Takeo, you played for five teams during your NFL career. You played at Auburn, which is obviously a pro-style atmosphere in terms of college football. How many of those teams that you played for went away for camp, and then how many stayed home, and what was the biggest difference for you? Uh, that's a good question. Very good question. But you know what? Out of the five teams that I played for, two stayed at home. It was San Francisco and San Diego. And, you know, the biggest difference, well, it really wasn't any, you know, even though you're in the same city, you're still sleeping in a hotel bed, which I hated because I feel like if I'm at home in the same city, why not stay in our own bed? But, you know, the rules are the rules. So that was the biggest thing. It's the comfort level of knowing that when you finally do have a day off, instead of you taking time out of your free day to drive back to your apartment of your home, at least you're in the same city. So now you have the opportunity to save some time. You actually gain time and you have more time to do what you want to do versus, you know, trying to make it take advantage of the leftover time. Takeo, you're one of the, the few players now in the media that, that played in the league pre-lockout, and I'm talking about the 2011 lockout. So you played pre-lockout and you spent a couple of years post-lockout. What is the biggest thing that has changed since the new CBA and since the new rules in terms of training camp and how a player can prepare for the season? How has that changed, the new, the new rules, since that 2011 CBA? Uh, the, the change came drastically in how we prepare for games, the structure coming up for after the draft, when you're allowed to put on pads, when you're allowed to start competing with one-on-one against each other. That was the biggest change. And I'll be honest with you, if I would have had that change back in my earlier in my years versus it happening on my 13th year, then I, I know I would have played longer than 15 years. Uh, it's, it's good on the body, and it allows you to recover. You know, that's one of the biggest things. And I think by the, the PA being able to implement that, I think you'll see guys being able to get a lot more mileage out of their body when usually if they was up under the old schedule, uh, there's no telling what may happen with injuries and everything. All right, Takeo, so let's, let's talk some ball a little bit. I, I wanted to bring you on to talk about the linebacker position and uh, really just the defense in general. And one of the big themes for this linebacking crew as they transition in the 2016, playing now under defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz after playing in a 3-4, two-gap scheme is just the changes in what they're going to see up front, the defensive line transitioning from a two-gap 3-4 to a one-gap straight-up attack-up field kind of defensive scheme. How does that change things for the linebackers? When, you, when you're back there at the second level and now you've got defensive linemen one-gapping instead of two-gapping, what are the biggest changes that the linebackers have to expect here moving forward? Well, it's a couple of things because as a linebacker, even as a safety who's coming down in the box, when you're playing, it behind, it, when you're playing behind a two-gap system defensive line, first off, you know, we say it and make it sound easy, but it's not an easy thing to do. Therefore, if you know that as a linebacker or a safety, on your run reads, when you have a play to where you know that, okay, since my guy is two-gapping and the ball is going to this side, he should have this gap because he's reading and re- he's reading versus than just reacting. Now, 
and that has a tendency to slow some players down because they may not trust the guy in front of them to be able to get his hat front side of the guard to, to show that, hey, I have this B gap, now I can play off of you and fit into the A gap. I think the biggest thing with Schwartz coming in is that he's going to simplify from that aspect. And with the great athletes that Philly has on their defensive front, uh, this is going to allow the guys to play faster. It's going to allow you to play faster. You only have one responsibility when it comes to running. Stay in your gap, and you get there as fast as you can. Now, on the back end, as far as linebackers and safeties and nickel packages, this will allow you to be able to diagnose the play and say, you know what, if the ball goes here, this is where I fit. If it goes here, this is where I fit. So it just allows everybody to play faster. And you have to trust and rely on the guys in front of you to do their job. To be honest with you, I think it makes it easier for the guys who are playing on the second level, talking about the linebackers, because you know now you have an opportunity to look at a play and say, you know what, only thing I want to know is run a pass, <laughs> 50-50. And you know, once you understand that, then you can start the process of elimination. Okay, if they run the ball to this side, this is my gap. And chances are if they run it to the other side, it's still going to be your gap versus it being a two-gap scheme. You know, you may have one gap if it's ran to the right, but if they run it to the left, your gap will change. And so it's a lot of mental gymnastics that come along with it. That's what makes it hard. But if you're able to master that two-gap scheme, it makes you very deadly and potent as a defensive unit. Now, by these guys switching to a one-gap scheme, I think it's going to be good. And then, you know, let's not forget, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that Schwartz is a very good defensive coordinator. I love what he did in his previous years, especially in Buffalo. Um, he was able to, to get the guys and rally the guys and, and, and let them know that, hey, guys, I'm not going to coach you like robots. I'm going to allow you to go out there and make plays. The only thing I ask you to do is to give me your effort and the attention to detail. Tequila, what's the, the hardest part about playing linebacker, maybe something that fans don't necessarily always think about? It's so many moving parts. And i give you a prime example. Imagine if you are a linebacker, and if you are that linebacker, First off, you have to get the call from the sideline. Time is ticking. The offensive unit behind you, they're lining up. Then you have to relay that call to everyone else. After you get everyone aligned and you tell them to call, if that offense gives you motion at all, maybe even a little bit, it changes everything that you do on the back end as far as how you fit up on the run fit and how you have to make the adjustments if they pass. And so with the, when that motion comes, you have to be able to adjust and relay that across the board to all the other guys on the back end. And so when you talk about, you know, something that fans may not even think about or sometimes fans may not even know, you have to be – I think you have to be quite intelligent somewhat to go out there and play that position because it's a, it's a lot of moving parts. It's not like you're lining up every play saying, you know what, it's me against you, and I'm about to take your head off. You can think that, but at some point, you got to calm down and say, you know what, I'm responsible for a lot more than just going out here being a, a modern-day gladiator. Got to be strategic. 
All right. Well, then this will be this will make this interesting. So you've got you're you're building a linebacker from scratch. This is the the perfect spikes linebacker. You get three traits. What three traits do you want in this perfect linebacker? If I'm building my Captain America, my Captain linebacker, the first thing that I'm going to inject him with is instincts, because uh, sometimes. A coach can oh, a coach can teach you anything he wants you to, but it's the instincts that allows you to go out and say, you know what, I'm going to go rogue on this play because I feel something. I can't explain it, but I'm going to make a play. And all the great players you see who make plays consistently over and over is because of their instincts. The next thing is the awareness. Uh, you got to have awareness in order to play this game and to understand, like the example I just gave of, getting the call in from the sideline, relaying that call, and then making sure that you're able to adjust if you receive motion. Awareness allows you to be able to do certain things. And when you have that type of awareness, you will be able to recognize things from maybe this offense this week usually snaps the ball at 13 seconds left on the play clock. But for whatever reason today, if they decide to snap it at five, you know it's a specialty play coming, so they got to give more time to be able to diagnose exactly what you're in. That's what awareness does for you. And the last trait that I would have my captain linebacker to be uh, uh, blessed with is just the just to be relentless, the enthusiasm and being relentless to go out there and to and to be a mangy dog. <laughs> That's what we used to call it. We want a guy who want to goes out there who is reckless abandon. He damn sure doesn't give a give a damn about your body, and he doesn't care about his. The only thing he cares about is making the play, getting off the field, creating turnovers. If he can't create a turnover, then he's going to give the ball back to his offense to score. Ah, see, very interesting. So you had three mental traits over the physical traits, and then obviously all spring, all we talk about is a, during the draft process, all the physical traits that go into the linebacker position. And you just named three mental or emotional traits uh, that fans may not always think about. So very interesting. All right. Well, it's okay. Every time I bring on a player or a former player, I like to get into something very position-specific. Let's do that right now in two technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. All right, Takeo, so two technique this week. I wanted to ask you about the hardest part, and really to almost take a snap to finish of what it's like to play as a whole player in the middle of the field. So for fans, you can think of, think of the cover one, all right? So you've got man coverage across the board. You've got a deep safety and a linebacker playing underneath in the middle of the field, almost like a free player. And so, Takeo, if you could just take a snap to finish, what does that look like? What, what's going through your mind when you're playing in that role? Well, before the rule changes, if you play in a whole player, that gave you a free right and a free, uh, a free will to knock anything out that's coming across the middle. And when you're a whole player, it really frees you up and it gives you an opportunity to really sit back and see things unfold. And that's where the awareness comes in. And if you have instincts, you're able to use your instincts. And that's a great play call for a linebacker to just let him roam in the middle and not have really a true responsibility because you have an opportunity to disrupt the intermediate pass routes. And then you have an opportunity, if you see a receiver coming across the middle, 
I want to check how strong he is mentally. So I'm going to lay him out and talk talk real dirty to him. And, you know, and I, I think that's part of the game that, you know, people don't know. Uh, they, you know, they may know, but if you can do that as a whole player, they'll find somewhere for you to play. All right, so then the last question for you then is uh, when you're looking at a guy playing a whole player position, so you're, you're watching tape, what does that look like? So what can fans look for uh, in terms of the physical aspect? What, what is a guy, if a guy's doing it right, what does he look like physically? Are his feet stuck in the ground or is he moving side to side? Is he kind of hopping up and down? What does it look like if the guy's doing it right? You'll pretty much see him standing in, in one place, but he'll be hopping up and down, just getting his feet ready to go, depending on where the quarterback throws it. Uh, but he'll be a guy who is just kind of hopping around, standing in the same area, just waiting on the quarterback to give him a good key to where he can go and break on the ball. You know, that's that's the biggest thing that, you know, you can see from a guy who is playing just a whole player or just that area. Takeo Spikes, you can follow him on Twitter again, at Takeo Spikes 51. I appreciate the time here on the Eagle Line in the Sky podcast. We'll have to have you on again soon. No doubt. That was awesome. I was really happy to catch up with Takeo and keep an eye out because he actually has a book coming out in a few weeks called Behind the Mask. And there are a ton of great interviews in that book with some of the greatest linebackers in NFL history, including one former Eagles linebacker that you're definitely going to want to hear from. So I know I'll be running out to get that book once it comes out. Great stuff again from Takeo. And you, you can follow him on Twitter just like I do at Takeo Spikes 51. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I really appreciate everyone that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show. The other is to go into iTunes, go into Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show. Give us a rating and leave us a comment. You know I appreciate everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Let's keep this show going, though. I told you earlier that we'd get into my notes on a rookie that I think could end up with a starting job potentially at the end of camp. Let's get to that now in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, so this week on Saturday Scouting, I wanted to focus on Isaac Sayamalu because he's making some headlines so far in camp. This is our first real extended look at Isaac uh, since he missed a good part of mini camps and OTAs because of finishing his his collegiate career at Oregon State. A little bit undersized, 6'4", 303 pounds. The most important part with him is that he's played four of the five positions on the offensive line during his time with the Beavers, comes from a football family. His dad is a coach. His brother's a coach. And he's got that positional versatility, which you love along the offensive line. Started nine games at right guard and three at left tackle this past season. And has started games at every position except for left guard during his career. Played on a line last year that worked primarily in a zone scheme. He flies out of his stance. He's got really good initial quickness. Comes off the ball well. Something that showed up in his 10-yard split in February at the Combine. He's got the foot quickness to be a very effective zone blocker. He can reach the front side. He can cut the back side. Knows how to work in tandem with his center or with a tackle in the zone run game. And when his hands are tight, he plays with great torque at the point of attack. One of the more fun offensive line prospects that I watched this offseason. He's got the ability to get to the second level, but he plays like he's got a lot of sand in his pants. You could tell he loves the physical part of the game. He's always looking for extra work out in space. He gets after defenders, and he looks to finish consistently. He's got that relentless nature to him that you love to see with offensive linemen. Now, 
would like to see him get a little bigger and stronger. Obviously, that's going to be the case, and it usually is the case with college offensive linemen. When he lets defenders into, a ch- into his chest, he's easily tossed aside. And that was, a, that was the issue with him is too often his hands would float outside in the run game, and that was what gave him issues at times during his time in Oregon State. I think that's something that he'll continue to work on this summer leading up to the fall. Didn't play in a traditional drop-back pass game. His anchor was just okay, but really his hand use is where he'll need to improve if he's going to win that starting job inside. Now, he may need some time, depending on the team, and this is what I wrote, to get bigger and stronger, but I really liked his potential. One of my favorite offensive linemen that I studied in this past draft class. Quick, he's nasty. If he gets in the weight room, gets more consistent, he'll be a long-time starter at guard, especially in a zone-blocking scheme with a floor as a swing backup. And we actually got to see that today during practice. Tuesday morning, we saw him get some reps at center. We saw him play guard yesterday. So you're seeing that positional versatility already come to fruition here in the early parts of training camp. But thanks again to Takiyo Spikes and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere, all of our destinations that you can find all of our podcast offerings, especially on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get the time, again, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot us a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just go shoot us a comment. We can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.